just a 10-minute light rail ride from the heart of Denver on the fifth floor of the Lamont School of Music, there is a rose. It is 10 feet tall and wide and hewn from stone. The panes of glass set into the petals bring the glorious Rocky Mountains into view. On the other side of the glass, Lamont musicians sit down to discuss the world of music behind and beyond that window. This is the Rose Room. Welcome back to the Rose Room, everyone. My name is Tommy, and I am excited to be hosting my first episode with you all today. I am joined by Sarah Wagner. Sarah, would you mind introducing a little bit about yourself, sharing your background? Absolutely. Hi, my name is Sarah Wagner. I am currently a second-year master's student in trumpet performance and a first-year's master's student in wind conducting here at Lamont. Uh, prior to my time at DU, I spent about four years teaching music in northern Colorado. And I say music because, honestly, I taught anything and everything in between sixth grade band, beginning percussion, seventh grade jazz band, high school guitar, high school piano, high school, anything you named it, I taught it. During that time, I spent about three or four years on the road as well, teaching and recruiting students aged from 15 to 22 to join a world-class drum corps. And I got to work with them all throughout the summer. And it was just an incredible experience because they're from all over the world. And then prior to that, I actually volunteered about four years of my time during my undergrad working in and around Colorado high schools and middle schools with before and after school programs, specifically including marching bands, percussion ensembles, and I even started a mariachi program up in northern Colorado. So it was a ton of fun. Nice. Well, you sound like a really good educator and someone to get all those kids pumped and learn about music. And I mean, who wouldn't? Um, you know, regarding today's episode topic, I was wondering if you could maybe share a bit of the background of some of the different types of students you had worked with. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in my background, I've worked with almost every single kind of student you can imagine. So um, like I said, I work with students age sixth grade through 12th grade and beyond. So even up to age 22 and definitely experienced students that have had some parents that have been in a pretty comfortable position where they work at IBM and at the end of the day they are able to afford you know really nice instruments and then I've worked at some schools where the students don't even know if their parents are going to be home at the end of the day and it's it's kind of sad saying hey you know little Johnny or little whoever how come you can't make it to school on time and they say well, I just, I, I didn't make, didn't wake up in time for the bus today. You know, I, my parents couldn't bring me to school. And, you know, so I've worked with all, all tons of students in between the, the financial circumstances that I just stated. Yeah, I could imagine, um, to throw in an anecdote of my own, I, my mom is also an educator. She works in education. And I remember one time on my way to school one day, um, some kid who happened to have her contact info had, had fallen into that same scenario where he just missed the bus and she happened, like we literally happened to be walking out the door and he called her and she said, I'll come get you. And she made sure he made it to school that day because otherwise, you know, there's another day of missed education. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. honestly, those days start racking up after a long time when you miss one day. All right. Well, you know, that's one day behind. But then what happens when you're trying to make up that that one day's worth of work? You start getting behind and everywhere else. And you say, man, this is just too hard. I can't keep up with this. And suddenly you don't really want to go to school anymore. Yeah. And we don't want that to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up a lot of good points about students, you know, not all having the same sort of level playing field. And, you know, especially regarding music, 
what sort of inequalities do you think students are facing today? And from like all ages, you know, like you were saying, you teach from six to 12 and beyond, like maybe be a bit more specific in each region if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of times uh, some of the inequalities that a lot of students are facing are we can we can narrow it down as far as we want. So some of them are, are sexism, some of them are racism, some of them are ageism, sometimes it's it's poverty. And sometimes we have under other underlying societal issues that are happening that maybe you and I aren't necessarily aware about and we we have a hard time seeing them because they're not happening to us right then and there. And so sometimes those societal issues might be hey, this is happening in politics and this is how it makes me feel or hey, this is happening in my home life and this is how it's making me feel. Hey, I feel that, you know, I'm not really connecting with my other students that are my age, you know, what what all is going on with there. So those are some of the inequalities that we're seeing today and that we have been seeing and that I, I came today and I wanted to share a little bit more about. Nice. Well, I'm glad that you're super passionate about that and that we're able to have you on our show today. Regarding some of those inequalities, what are things and, you know, maybe we can break it up. What are some ways that, you know, either maybe teachers or even us as like fellow peers and fellow musicians who might not necessarily be educators work to help serve those kind of people who are struggling with trying to keep up in music? Yeah, absolutely. So we have to really think of in a different mindset in a different way and we have to put ourselves in the shoes of our students genuinely and so one of the biggest questions that we can ask ourselves is when basic needs aren't being met how can one move forward with a passion and so when we ask that question we say well gosh I don't know how to move forward with anything if I you know don't have a roof over my head or if I don't have you know food because I'm hungry and I you know or maybe I don't have a great relationship with my parents or something like that is happening so how can we move forward with that passion and ignite the passion and say, hey, we can turn this passion into something that's going to help us, something that's going to get us through some of these inequalities that we're facing. So some ideas that I've definitely had are, you know, serving some underprivileged areas. So maybe you might have a little bit of extra time or extra resources on your hands and what can we do with that time and those resources? And some of those include building community. So Building community is something really easy to say and really hard to do and find and hard to find a place to start, honestly. But building community just means that you recognize that there's a need in the community and you start branching out beyond that need and you start figuring out, hey, how can I supplement this communal need that's happening? So it's just finding a way to build awareness. First of all, you have to be very aware that your community needs something. Um, After that, it's how can I bring people together? So in a lot of our communities, and especially with a lot of things that have happened over the last couple of years, we don't necessarily have this undying sense of unity. And what's, you know, what are a couple of things that you can bring people together to unite about? And I think one of those things genuinely, one is food. Absolutely. Food brings so many people together. But another one is, is music and sharing an appreciation and an understanding of music, I think is way more powerful and can definitely move mountains, so to speak. And another way that you can really think about serving or bringing awareness to these areas are take note of underrepresented persons in the field of music. So can you think of any people uh, for, for you or for people that are listening that are underserved or underrepresented in the field of music specifically? I mean, there's there's tons out there. I don't I don't see a ton of non-white male trumpet players. It's just not something that I see and that I'm exposed to. But when I start looking outside of the the norm and, and the people that I've been taught to see, I see thousands of just 
underrepresented people in the trumpet world. And that's just, you know, what I'm looking at. I and mean, you can see it in conducting, you can see it in composing, you can see it in performance, you can see it even in education as well. Another one that you can think of or that you can bring about is eradicating the good old boys club mentality. And I'll give a little bit of, of background on the good old boys. I think the, the good old boys club is, well, back in my day, it kind of starts with that. Or it's the, oh, we don't do it this way. Or it's always worked this way, so why change it? And I think now, more than ever, we have to recognize that there's a need for change. And then to follow up on the recognition and to provide a source that meets that need. Uh, another way that you can provide opportunities or you know, work with underprivileged students is, is to volunteer. Uh, take, take some time and go out into the community and say, hey, you know, I'm not saying that we all have to be Whoopi Goldberg in a sister act and we all have to go out and, and make sure that we're a part of the community and we have to paint walls and do all that kind of stuff, but get out there and, and spend some time with, with these people because they are the community. Those are, those are the people that you're seeing that you need to help represent sometimes. Yeah. Uh, one thing that we were pretty privileged to do on our earlier convocations is we actually had a chance to interview the Flowbots. And they actually brought up a, a fantastic point of how, you know, they they went around Colorado and they did just local tours. But what they did is they went off the beaten path. They went to really small towns that maybe were underserved or maybe had never seen an act like the Flowbots before. And just something as simple as if you're a performer and just going going out of your way to a smaller school or a smaller town and spending a day there, you know, it might hurt the gas mileage a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, and you know, you might see some amazing things that you've never seen before, like the sand dunes down in Southern Colorado or the hot springs over in Western Colorado. But you also might have an opportunity to inspire young students and say, hey, you know, you guys can do this too. It's not just us, but you can lift them up. And then the the last two ways I'm going to talk about are just because you can't donate money or just because you can't help lift people out of poverty or out of their circumstance doesn't mean that you can't inspire them and that you can't offer, offer empathy. And the last one is something that's more geared towards musicians especially or towards teachers is offer group lessons that can help serve multiple students. So maybe you have one student that you know about that just has great potential just loves 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 everything about the bassoon but maybe can't afford really fantastic bassoon lessons well what do you do in that case maybe take on a couple of your students and say hey we're gonna have a group lesson you know group lessons are a fantastic way to engage with students on a non-harmful level I would say and I mean maybe harmful isn't the right word but it doesn't put them under so much scrutiny that they're so afraid to make a mistake in their lesson and then you're introducing them to other students and you also have a way to pool money together and pool resources together that might take a few dollars off of that one student that maybe just can't afford lessons right away so I think those are some ways that we can isolate those inequalities and help bring up some of our students for sure. And so I also want to um, talk about maybe some of that community outreach that you were talking about. I know that Director Keith Ward here is super big on that um, and him trying to get us as the Lamont community to come together. But when you were talking about, you know, going out there, what is like, um, could you maybe describe a process that for like maybe some of the chamber groups here, if they wanted to 
go out to like a middle school or something and like maybe share some of the music that we make here with them what's like maybe a process they could go about doing to be able to do that yeah absolutely so i we actually tried to do that a couple times last year with one of the brass quintets i was in and you know some things just didn't work out the way that we wanted to but we ended up crafting a tour and going through this process and so the big the first thing you need to do is isolate or figure out what community you're trying to help or what community that you want to be a part of. So say, hey, you know, I'm really a part of DPS. I want to be a part of the Denver Public School System, and, and that's where I want to serve. So you isolate who you're trying to impact. From there, you can go to a couple different routes. So specifically, I'm talking more about a school district. So I'd actually go to the DPS website, and I would just go in, click, 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 boop, 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 and find a couple music teachers that are in there. And even if I can't find music teachers per se, because some school district... Uh, websites are really difficult to navigate what you can do is you can go in and you can either call call the principal and say hey you know we're we're this music group from the lamont school of music and we're really interested in in coming and sharing our music with your students is is there a music teacher that we can talk to that we can get in touch with is is there someone that coordinates events like this where we can come into the school and just you know the, the biggest thing that you have to do with that is be really excited about what you're sharing and have an idea of why it needs to be shared. So a lot of musicians have a voice and, and they voice it through their instrument or through their, you know, their actual voice. But sometimes we forget what music is all about. We forget that it's about sharing our ideas and, and figuring out why it's important for other people to hear those ideas. And so having that be the clear ultimatum behind things is saying hey can we come into your school and just present you know 20 minutes of music it's going to be myself and four others this is the kind of music we're planning on playing and you know if we need to split it up or if there's a preferred time we can make it work uh here are our days that we can come in just let us know what we can do and can we trade contact information and so from there we can definitely expand a little bit more so once you have one person in contact you can ask hey what are the other schools that are in your district? I'm, I'm not from around here. I'm from whatever state, you know, Utah, Nebraska, wherever Lamont people are from or wherever you're from. And you can say, I'm not really from here. How can I get connected a little bit more after I've connected with you? And so that opens up so many other doors to that same community. And so when you go in and that's after, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So we got the gig, we booked it. We, we found out other people that are interested in us, but they're not so sure yet. They're all, let's see how they do with this first school. So you go into the school and you have your, your awesome presentation. You present 30 minutes of music and you also back it up with historical knowledge, theoretical knowledge and performance-based knowledge. And you have the students come up and they play with you. There's all these other ideas that you can come up with that a music teacher would absolutely love. And they say, you know, oh, look at this person. They're playing the tuba. How cool is that? Or, oh my gosh, did you hear how low that person can play on the tuba? Or, oh my gosh, did you hear that the sound they made? It was so funny. It was a trombone going, you can do anything like that and get the students excited and want, have them want you to come back because music is fun. That's, that's what you have to remember is during your performance, during your gig, you have to have a very specific outline of what you want to accomplish. You need to have someone in front talking and saying, hey, check this out this is super cool have someone that is super energetic someone that's amped up someone that is just ex as excited about this presentation as all of these children are for you you know some of them may have never seen a french horn before some of them may have never seen a true 
bass before. Some of them may have never seen a timpani before. And, you know, maybe you're not taking your own timpani in, but maybe you're borrowing them or you're showing them, you're showing them pictures or you're showing them what it might look like. And some of them may have never heard a coloratura sing like in the middle of this giant gymnasium. What an amazing experience for them. And so once you have the gig, you have to have what you're going to do. You have to have your 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 excitement your 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 front man your front person and you have to have a way to incorporate it into the curriculum unfortunately that's that's one thing you can't really get around because it is school they want to make it so that it connects with everything else and they want to make sure that you know i don't know how but the students learned math during this lesson that was pretty cool if you can incorporate any subject into it such as history or math or science or even english you can incorporate all that in there with that and so that's what is going to separate a great performance from just an okay one. And the more that you can expand and the more that you can use diversity within those schools to emphasize what you're doing, the better off you're going to be. A lot of times growing up, I saw so a trumpet player as well as a percussionist, and I didn't see a ton of female trumpet players or female percussionists. It just wasn't a thing that I ever saw, and it wasn't a thing that ever bothered me. But when I did see another female percussionist or another female trumpet player, I was all, yo, and I gave him just like the biggest thumbs up and the biggest rock on, and I was so excited to see someone that looked like me that was playing my instruments. And that's what a bunch of these little kids want. That's all they want. They want to see someone that looks like them doing something really cool. Yeah, that if you don't mind me sharing a little, another little anecdote, that totally made me think of um, the Arapahoe Philharmonic. They do a play-in thing, and I remember in high school, I think it was my junior year, um, it was like a little thing that you just submit, like a little form, and I don't even think you had to audition. I think you just had to show an interest, and they you got to do like a little concert that was really cool where you got to play next to these people, and you know, I mean... Yeah, I'm sure, like, some of these kids are just probably, they're not that good at their instrument yet, but that's, like, you know, it's a way to get them excited. And I think we even played, I think we played, like, a little silly arrangement of uh, Jupiter, um, whole Jupiter, and just things like that. Um, but I've also seen them at another concert. I think they came back, if I remember right, to my high school, and they played for us, but this was, like, open to other people outside. And I remember afterwards just seeing all these kids going up on stage and ta talking with all these musicians, especially, like, one of the harpists, like, people went up and they're like, how does that work? Like, these little pedals, what do they do? And it was just, like, really cool just seeing these little kids, like, you know, getting all excited that mm -hmm. this big group of professionals came and played for them and then they got to chat with them. Absolutely. the And that, you know, that just reiterates how, how amazing of an experience that was. I bet that changed everything for you. I think my mom used to tell me, and she was mad at the, the high school band director of the high school that I went to because he went down to the elementary school that I went to and, and said, oh, oh, Sarah, you know what? Come here. And I was all, okay. You know, I was so excited when you get picked for something when you're in elementary school. And he said, do you like band? And I said, I love it. And I didn't know what band was, of course not. <laughs> but I loved it anyways because it was so exciting and there were so many shiny instruments. And, and he hooked me. He said, well, come here, come, come play with us at the next basketball game. And, it, you know, my mom worked at the school and she was the cheerleading coach. So I was already at the basketball game and he had me go up and stand with the band with all these really tall high schoolers. And I was so short and I was just so unsure of myself. And he, he handed me two things. He gave me one drumstick and one cowbell and said, this is your job. Every time this person in front of you moves their arms and, they go, and the, it was the conductor, of course, but I didn't know who they were. And he's like, every time this person moves their arms, 
you have to hit the cowbell as loud as you can. And I said, okay. And just that experience, I, you know, I don't necessarily remember all of it, but I remember my mom telling me how excited I was and how she hates him because now I have to buy all this, all these musical equipment for, for Sarah. And I don't know anything about music or band or drumsticks or drum sets or cowbells or this or that, or valve oil. What even is that? And, and so I definitely remember my experience with that and and just kind of circle back a little bit with our our students and the people that we're talking to. We can't ever say no to them. I mean, we can. We can we can definitely say, you know, no, please don't use my drumsticks. <laughs> but you can use this and you can you can use your fingers and you can touch this and you can do that. And obviously, you know, if there we're at a petting zoo or a a instrument tryout kind of moment, you just want to make them excited about everything. You don't want to set them back or set them down or you know if the parent says you know we can't really afford this hey that's okay we can find a way to make it work we can find a way to get you an instrument we can find a way to have you borrow this instrument or maybe set up some sort of program and there are a ton of programs in Colorado one of the other programs I can think of off the top of my head is called music in the arts and what they do is they do a rent to own program so what you can do is you can go in and say hey you know my student really wants to play this trumpet and they can set up a program for you where, you know, okay, how much can you afford to pay a month? Or how much can you afford? And you can say, all right, well, I can only afford $20 a month because I'm paying off this, 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 and this. And I'm trying to put food on the table. And 20 bucks is what I can do. I can skip, you know, a meal here or there. We can we cannot eat out once or twice. And you say, okay, cool. Well, we're going to put you on a three-year program to own this instrument. And so at that point... It's, it's best to sit down with the student and say, hey, you know, you don't have to do this for three years, but we are putting money into this. So after three years, if you take really good care of this instrument and you get really, really good, it can be yours and you can own it. And you don't, you don't have to think that we have to return it at the end. And that's one of the best things that you can do for a student is just set them up for success. Find a way to make it work. Hands down, all of the time, you will find someone, if you look, that is going to help you make it work. Yeah, so... For things like that, I think one of the hard things is just knowing whether or not these programs exist. And so what can we do as, you know, musicians, music educators going into the future to figure out these, um, excuse me, to find out about these programs so we can actually share them with other people and actually utilize them as opposed to just like letting them sit there um, collecting dust. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first things that we can do, and this kind of varies, I'm going to take a path of more of a public teacher where you're actually in charge of 30 or 40 students at a time. So I'm going to go down that path, and then please remind me to go down a private studio path because it's going to be a little bit different. In a public school setting, the best thing you can do is introduce your students and say, hey, I want everyone to come this day, or maybe you go to their school and you say, okay, you know, here's the small information packet, take it home, share it with your parents. In that information packet, you need to include all of the options that they have. And so one of the options is always going to be, you can buy your own instrument. And when you say you can buy your own instrument, you need to put a disclaimer that says, please do not buy this plastic pink flute that you find on Amazon. That's just from the, this, the middle of nowhere, China. And because when it comes in, it's going to be in the wrong key. All the, all the fingerings are going to be wrong. Everything's going to be wrong. You need to include that little disclaimer in there. And so you have to include quite a few disclaimers, actually, because I can't tell you how many purple clarinets I've seen in my life that have just 
oh, they have sounded like something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just kind of need to put my earplugs in and smile anyways, because that's what the student could afford at the time. Uh, there are tons of public programs out there. So we have music and the arts specifically. We also have a couple independent programs. So it depends on what instrument you're looking at. So I think US Con does it as well. And KAH, KHS Music does it as well. They're sponsored by Jupiter, Mapex. They have a couple other sponsors under there. And you can find reps that are in your area. They really try to make themselves very well known. And so just talking to one person will lead you to the next person. And, and, and to find these people, one of the better things you can do is go to your local music store and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a couple of representatives from different companies that I can provide to my students to rent to own or own instruments or just try instruments out and see what works for them how do you have any insight and most of the time they're gonna say oh yeah i know this guy i know this guy i know this dude i know this person here you go here's all the information and so you go through and you can talk to these people you can compile lists and of services that they may offer but at the end of the day it's going to be a little bit of research on the front hand from you and then a little bit of just compiling it all together and making sure that it looks pretty and it's in a packet for students and so that's more of the public school route of finding ways of hey here are some instruments for you here's some options here here are a couple different roads or routes that we can take and usually a couple of times at local programs if you have 20 kids that just want to sign up for oboe, bassoon, French horn, double bass, cello, some of those instruments that are a little bit more heavy in terms of a financial burden, you can say, okay, how can I serve you with my own instruments that I have in my own program? So that's taking an inventory of your own program, of what you have, what you don't have. And that's also calling other schools and saying, hey, I have 20 French horns. I have no idea how that happened, but do you have any French horns that I can rent from you or that I can borrow from you or that we can do an exchange program with? I'll give you two of my trumpets if you give me 20 French horns, right? That's how that works, right? <laughs> but <laughs> so that's kind of a little bit more of that, that public school route. So now if you're in a private situation, it's going to be a little bit different. You're going to have a couple students that may have been referred to you by either a, a music director or someone just in the local community saying, hey, you know, I saw this person's flyer and I wanted to take lessons with you, but I don't own anything. There's a couple of different ways we can go about that. So we can start with, okay, I'm not going to say that you trust the person right away, but if you have an extra instrument or if you have a student model instrument that you just kind of held on to when you were in middle school and you feel comfortable allowing that student to borrow that and say, okay, all I need you to do is just maybe buy a mouthpiece or maybe I need you to just buy reeds and supply them. And you get to take home this once a week and then that's when we get to have our lesson and you get to play it and so as you get to know your students a little bit more you can provide them with a little bit more information about how to go about that same route again going with your public music store trying to find those people that have rent to own programs and also just compiling that same packet so it's gonna be very similar but it's just gonna be a little bit more individual basis you're gonna know a little bit more about your student personally as they go into this route but definitely I'm I'm always just gonna say go check out your local music store. And one thing that a lot of people forget is the repair shops. So sometimes they aren't marketed as music stores, they're marketed as a repair shop. A lot of the times they just find old instruments that are maybe pawned or pre-owned or something happened to them and they bought them because they looked like they were in pretty poor condition. They refurbish them and then they sell them for a reasonable price. And there's a ton of fantastic music stores that do that, or excuse me, music repair shops 
that do that all throughout Colorado. One of the ones that I use all the time, I love working with them, it's going to be Rocky Mountain Music and Repair. And it's just a small mom and pop kind of shop. I take my trumpet in, they clean it, I get it back, and it's beautiful. I never have to think about it ever again until, you know, eventually I have to go take it back in and get it cleaned. And then I see a bunch of instruments. I'm all, ooh, when'd you get that? When'd you get that? When'd you get that? What's the price on it? Tell me more. How can I get my students to have these instruments in their hands? But excellent question. Well, we've been talking a lot about ways to get students into music, especially, and a little, a little bit about how to inspire them. So I kind of want to start delving more down that route. Um, you know, let's start with like, maybe what kind of artists would you recommend to students to listen to to help, you know, keep that fire going? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely am, and I'm just going to ask a rhetorical question. So when we were in elementary school, what kind of composers what kind of people were we studying i i am gonna bet that we heard twinkle twinkle little star i i bet you learned abcs i bet you learned a bunch of those stock songs that we figured out later on are actually just you know beethoven symphony or whatever but we learned a lot about bach we learned about a lot about mozart we learned a lot about beethoven and and the, and the uniting things that bring those guys together are you know they're all dead white guys from europe in, in pre-1800s or kind of 1800s era. And the biggest thing that we can do is share artists that are still alive, <laughs> in my opinion. I think it's super cool when you actually get to see them in person and you're all, whoa, this person's real. I'm not just reading about them in a book. They're here in front of my eyes and now I know their name and I've gotten to see them and they look like me. And so part of that is also being a part of your community and understanding what your community ethnicity is. So for example, if I'm hanging out in Longmont, which is going to be predominantly Hispanic and also Caucasian, I may not say, hey, you know what you guys should listen to? Taylor Swift. That's not something that I'm going to say right away. I'm going to say, oh, let's listen to some mariachi. Let's listen to some banda. Let's listen to so Ariel Camacho. Let's listen to all these artists that are fantastic and just get them excited about music. So find artists that connect to them on the way on the basis of hey that artist looks like me or hey that artist is singing in a language that I understand better than English or hey this is music that my family listens to I love this this is music for my culture this is music for my community you need to open yourself up to new music as much as you expect your students to open themselves up to to new music so maybe they don't love Holst right now but maybe you can find little connections that connect the dots from Kendrick Lamar to Holst. I bet I bet we could find them right now if we tried hard enough or if we just, you know, threw out a couple of different artists in between. But we can find all those connections and all music is connected, absolutely. But, you know, finding out where the student is from, what their interests are, and, and going from there is probably the best way to introduce them to the music is that's going to impact them the most. Going even further, you know, a lot of this is like relating to identity and especially you know when it does come to marginalized people who are underrepresented especially in classical music you know like that is a big problem that we're still dealing with today do you think music education like this and being able to represent these people relates to social activism yeah absolutely so i think there i think we have to dissect that question a tiny bit just to find that common ground. So when we talk about social activism, we kind of have to realize what social activism is. And I, th I think that you can kind of break that up into four parts. One of the parts is definitely 
being a citizen. So, you know, what are you doing in your time that you are existing? And then we have to talk about the next phase, which is the rebel. So the citizen kind of goes with the norm. They go with the standards that are set in front of them. And I would say that the rebel has recognized that, you know, something is something's wrong. You know, we need to change something now. And this is this is the exciting person. This is the person that says, we need to do something now, tomorrow, tonight, yesterday. And then then we have the person that takes on the role as the reformer. And so the the reformer is something that, you know, as a person that definitely monitors success, they're the person that goes through and they they try to create new ideas and new ways to approach whatever ailment there is in the community. And then the last one that, you know, we want to identify is kind of the change agent. So that's the person that is going to put together huge groups of people. They're going to promote, you know, alternatives, paradigm shifts, all that kind of fun stuff of educating people and getting out there and actually making the change happen. But we have to realize that you know, within social activism, there are a lot of different roles to play and you can choose whichever role you want. And at the end of the day, it's whatever is most comfortable for you. And some people are, are hell bent on being that change agent. There are some people that are super hell bent on being the rebel. And there are some people that are fine with just being the citizen and just going along with it and following that. And, and, you know, it's never to say that we're all sheep and, you know, we can't have, you know, 25 wolves or, you know, whatever, whatever the analogy is, you know, we don't have to have a million leaders, but we definitely need to have someone that is excited and someone that is recognizing what's happening. And then when we talk about the underrepresentation that's happening, we have to identify where it's happening specifically. And so there's this fantastic classic FM site that I wanted to, I, identify and one of them is the headline is actually from last year june 9th and it's called 19 black musicians who have shaped the classical musical world and honestly when i first went through this list i recognized maybe three names and and it wasn't because i you know am just in my own blinders and i'm not seeing these people and not learning about these people it's part of it is a little bit about music and the curriculum that we're teaching like i go back to thinking about Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. Yeah, they're fantastic. Well, what about other people that generated change in in crazy ways? So we have to bring up people like George Bridgetower. So it's a violin virtuoso of Afro-European descent. And it was actually Beethoven's protege for a really short while, but we don't know about this guy. We we don't know anything about this person and, and how don't we know them? And we also, you know, have this, this man named Thomas Wiggins, um, known as Blind Tom, he was also another musical prodigy, highest paid piano player of the 19th century, actually, and just traveled like crazy performing Bach, Beethoven in his own works. But we don't know who he is. Right. And so we're going down the list and down the list. And we're and I'm realizing, man, why don't I know any of these people? And some people on this list just recently passed away, like Robert McFerrin, passed away in 2006. He was actually the first black man to sing a leading role at the Met Opera. And I had no idea about that. That's something to be absolutely celebrating. So we have to identify, you know, where where the lack is. And it's not to say, you know, we don't have to continue to go up to people that we see that are maybe on the fringe or maybe that are underrepresented and say, 
Sarah Wagner, you're a female trumpet player. You're a female percussionist. How does it feel to be the only female drummer in the Nuggets drum Skyline Drumline? Well, it feels pretty normal. You don't have to ask me that question. But what you can do is say, you know, that's super awesome that you're here. What can I do to support other women that want to join this? What can I do to help them out? What can I do to say, hey, you're absolutely able to do this? And that's kind of by showing people that, yes, you can do anything that you set your mind to. It's it's saying, hey, I understand that you're set back a little bit, maybe because of extreme circumstances that you don't have any control behind, but I want to help support you and support your dreams. And then one other study that I wanted to isolate was actually put together by the League of American Orchestras. And so they actually had research and data analysis by James Dozer. And this was put out in September 2016, and they actually went through and they isolated in the report an analysis of specific data sets. So race and ethnicity, gender for all musicians, conductors, staff, and board members of fantastic American orchestras. And so when we go through that list, we actually find some key findings in here. So they actually isolated key finding or the data set between 1980 and 2014. And even though they did see a fourfold increase in the proportion of diverse musicians on stage, it was driven largely by an increase in musicians from Asian and Pacific Islander backgrounds. So when we look at that information, we're all, yes, that's awesome. We love that. But we also see the proportion of non-white musicians that were represented in orchestra workforce were extremely low. And we ask why that happens. And we, we realize that a lot of underrepresented or non-white musicians often come from communities that are a little bit on the disparate side oftentimes. And it just, that's just how it is often. And <laughs> I don't want to say that's just how it is without information to back it up. But on, on this interview, I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. I think we've seen a lot of it, especially in COVID and trying to get the the vaccinations out and try just to help people that are in need and a lot of times we're not meeting the the areas of minorities and so actually I wanted to read this out loud there are noticeable differences between larger orchestras and smaller orchestras specifically the percentage of musicians from african-american and hispanic and latino backgrounds employed by smaller orchestras is double the percentage of those employed by larger orchestras Conversely, conductors from African-American and Hispanic Latino backgrounds are more likely to be employed by larger orchestras than by smaller orchestras. I'm not going to you know, put my opinion out there, but I think that if you're listening to this, we might be on the same page of why that might be happening. And I think it kind of comes from, hey, we want to visually see a representation and show people that we're more diverse. We want to show people that, oh, we can have a woman conductor in front of us. We can have you know, an African-American man conductor in front of us. We can have a Latino woman in front of us. But when it comes to the actual members, you know, I'm, I'm sad to say that I don't see it and I don't see a lot more diversity happening. And maybe that's not because of you know, being behind the screen during your audition, but maybe it comes down to, hey, I couldn't make enough money to get a bus ticket to get to the audition hey, I live in an apartment where the walls are super paper thin, as, you know, as we all do sometimes in our life, but I can't practice as much as, you know, maybe my counterpart that has their own house that has a really financially stable life. And so I also wanted to point out that in the study they did 
point out that women conductors are still rare, especially in the high status position of music director. And it does state that elsewhere, the orchestra field appears to be becoming proportionally representative of the general population in terms of gender, both on and off the stage, which I think is incredible. So I think now that the focus needs to be not necessarily highlighting people that are diverse, but making sure that we rewind a little bit and we say, okay, where is this starting? This is starting maybe in middle school, maybe in elementary school. What are some of those students that aren't receiving the same love, the same care, the same energy, the same things sometimes as students that maybe are across town that are a little bit more financially stable? How can we help lift those students up on the same level that have that their counterparts might have a step up or something like that? So, you know, we can't do anything about it right this second. But if we think about it, you know, we can. We can start inspiring young people to start their path, start their journey of music and, and say, hey, if you want to have a job in this orchestra, you can have a job in this orchestra. You just have to work hard. You just got to do it. Just like how we would say for any other student that wants a job in an orchestra. You know, it's oftentimes <laughs> never going to be handed to you, but you, you got to work hard. Well... I think you've given all of our listeners a lot to think about, and especially moving forward in their own musical careers, music education careers. Uh, before we do leave today, I want to say, are there any last final thoughts you want to give us before um, we end the episode? Yeah, I, I wanted to leave our listeners with a few questions that they can ask themselves when they're going out and inquiring, how can I help this community? So questions you can ask yourself or other people, is the education system, the American education system as a whole, systematically ist? So you can fill in your own word right there. Is it systematically racist? Is it systematically sexist? Is it systematically ageist? Maybe, um, I can't say povertyist, but financial burden, you know, are there financial burdens there? Do schools suggest through curriculum design the superiority of some others' cultures over others, right? Is there gender equality in the realm of music? What can I do to be more aware? And how can I highlight more diverse artists? And I say this, and this will be my little, my little two cents. Everyone loves an underdog story. Every single person. We all love those underdog stories. We all love the movies. We all love watching them. But... Not everyone has the opportunity to be a star in their own underdog movie. So what can you do to help out someone that may not be the star quite yet of their movie? All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sarah. It's been a pleasure having you on The Rose Room. We hope you enjoyed our discussion about inequality in music with Sarah Wagner. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Our next episode will be on March 29th. If you have any questions, suggestions, or would like to be featured on a future podcast, please contact us at lamontroseroom at gmail.com. Thanks.